0: A reading from Jonah 3.10-4.4 4, 4. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Oops. It's gotten bright up here, so I'm not doing this to look cool. I'm doing this so I can still see. <laughs> Friends, what are you dying for? What are you dying for? You know, we throw that phrase around kind of cavalierly, don't we? I'm dying for a coffee. I'm dying for that new iPhone. I'm dying for a vacation. You know, but think about what you're saying. Think about what you're saying when you say something like that. Unless I get what it is that I want, I'm going to die. This thing is some kind of prerequisite to continued living. It's essential to life. And so the question today is what is Jonah dying for? What is Jonah dying for? Because in today's passage, I don't know if you heard it, but Jonah said he was dying. He's lost something essential. He's lost something that made his life worth living. Listen again to the intensity of chapter 4, verse 3. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. So, we need to turn that down a little bit. Need it closer to my mouth. A little taller. There we go. Can we turn that down now? There we go. I sound a little squeaky. (laughs) Jonah prays with an intensity. He says, again, Lord, take my life. It's better to live than to die. Jonah says, I am dying for this thing. I am dying for this thing. And without this thing, my life's not worth living. Without it, I might as well die. It's better for me to die than to live. And so what's Jonah dying for? You know, his statement in verse 3 gives us a clue. It begins with the word, therefore. And remember, therefore is a connecting word. This happened or did not happen. Therefore, I'm ready to die. In the verses immediately before this, what does Jonah say has happened? God showed mercy. Do you realize what this means? Jonah is angry that God is not angry. In response to Jonah's preaching, the people of Nineveh have turned from their evil and violence, and in response to their repentance, the Lord has turned away from his great wrath. And Jonah says, Lord, if you refuse to unleash your wrath upon the people of Nineveh, I'm going to unleash my wrath upon you. Verse 1 spells it out. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. You know, some of you, if you're looking at your own Bible, you might notice there's actually a footnote in many of the Bibles that says the Hebrew here literally means it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. It was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Jonah calls evil what the Lord declared was good. Because clearly in the Lord's sight, the repentance, the turning of the people of Nineveh and being able to relent from his wrath upon Nineveh were good things. But Jonah goes, no, 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 that's evil. That's wrong. And friends, this is the fundamental nature of sin. It's when I decide that something God calls as good is evil or something that God calls evil is good. It's when I decide and I call the shots. You know, again, this has been the problem from the very beginning. You remember at the creation story, God created the beautiful Garden of Eden, and everything was perfect. And he planted one tree in the Garden of Eden that man and woman were not to eat of. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, the question was, would humanity trust what God said was good was good and evil, evil, or would they decide for themselves? It was a it was the It was between self determination and God determination. It was answering the question who has the right to determine what is good and what is evil. You know the Ninevites have been subject to the judgment of the Lord because they were calling good what the Lord called as evil, and now here we have Jonah the prophet calling evil what the Lord has said is good. Friends, who has the right? Who has the right to determine what is good and what is evil? You know, the word that we use often, the word confess, comes from two Latin words, con, together, and fratiri, to admit. Confessing is to admit together, to speak the same words to agree with. And friends, we're called to confess that God is God and we are not. We're called to confess to speak the same words as him, to be brought into agreement with what he declares is good as evil, not what the culture says is good, Or evil, Not what our friends say is good or evil. Not what our hearts say is good and evil. Not what I want to be good and evil. To confess, to agree with what the Lord says is good or evil. Now the problem is, the problem is this message cuts not only against the grain of our popular culture, this cuts against our own wills as well. You know, we don't really want there to be an absolute truth. We don't want to believe that there's a God who created all of reality and thus has the right to determine what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. You know, I want to be captain of my own fate. I want to determine my own personal morality. You know, the mantra of today is, if I want it, it must be good. And if I don't want it, it must be evil. And even if you don't hear people use those exact words, you know, again, haven't you heard this idea expressed? If I want it, then intrinsically it must be something good, and if I don't want it, it must be evil. It's our culture's mantra, it's our personal mantra, and this was Jonah's mantra. Jonah said, hey, if I want it, it must be good, and I want the destruction of my enemies. I want to see Nineveh get what's coming to them. Therefore, that must be good, and if it doesn't happen, then that is evil. See, he didn't want the repentance of the Ninevites. He didn't want the Lord to relent from wrath, and therefore this was evil. And the question is, what was it? Just because your heart wants something, does that automatically make it good? Because Jonah's heart here wanted the destruction of the Ninevites. Did that make their destruction good? Because Jonah really wanted their destruction, did that make the reprieve evil, like he said it was? Friends, good and evil. Good and evil cannot be determined by human desire. Good and evil cannot be determined by human desires because human desires vary from one person to another. Human desires are fickle and they're ever changing. Human desires are malleable. They're shaped by our culture, by our practice, and by our experience. Human desire is a miserable arbiter of good and evil. You know, in my own daily time with the Lord, I've currently reading in the book of Judges again. And the book of Judges is a mess. If you want to read just a depressing book with utter chaos, open up to the Old Testament book of Judges. And the reason why it's utter chaos is summarized at the very end of the book in a couple of places. In Judges 17.6 and again in 21.25 it says, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone determined in their own heart what was good and evil and did what was right in their own eyes. And friends, judges is a chaotic mess. Instead of confessing the wisdom of God and His commandments and what they reveal about good and evil, right and wrong, each person did what was right in their own eyes. And friends, that's exactly what the Lord has warned us not to do. He warned His people early on, don't do that. It's only going to lead to chaos and destruction. You know, there, there's a, a thing, and we still see Orthodox Jews practice this today, but you might have noticed this Orthodox Jewish men will wear upon their garments tassels. And if you look in the corners of their garments, they have tassels, and that seems odd to us today. But friends, it's explained in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. And this is what it says. And it shall be a tassel, the tassels on their garments, shall be for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you're inclined to whore after. You see, those tassels serve the same purpose that you see some people today, they wear those jelly bracelets that support different causes. And every time they or somebody else sees that jelly brace, what does it do? It calls, calls to mind that cause that they're supporting. The tassels on their garments were supposed to call to mind every time they looked or they saw the tassels on somebody else's garment. It was to remind them, hold on, I'm going to need to remember and obey the commandments of the Lord. He is God and I'm not. I shouldn't follow after just my eyes and my heart. I need to follow after the Lord. What He says is good. And what he says is evil. His determinations, not my own. No matter what my heart says, no matter what my eyes see, no matter what I feel, no matter what culture says, no matter what I want, only God can tell me what is good and what is evil. And in fact, he warned his people through the prophets against those that would do otherwise. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord warned his his people in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 and said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Because, friends, God alone can determine good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness. And we dare not redefine, rename, or relabel what God has declared. You see, the Ninevites invited judgment on themselves by calling good what the Lord has called evil. But now here's Jonah calling evil what God has called as good. Friends, do we think that we will escape the same judgment? Do we believe that our culture will be unscathed by the consequences of trying to redefine reality according to our whims and our desires? Do we truly believe that following our hearts and ignoring God will bring us no harm? Friends, we see the consequences of calling good evil and evil good in our culture every day. We've redefined sexuality, marriage, family, gender, responsibility, morality, and we see everywhere confusion and chaos, despair and pain, because we've called good what God's called evil and evil what God's called good. Everyone's doing what is right in his or her eyes, and the result is exactly what Proverbs 16 says it would be. Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Who defines what is good and what is evil? The Ninevites faced judgment for calling good what the Lord called evil, but they repented. They turned and they confessed what the Lord says is evil, is evil, and we should turn from it. But now we find the prophet Jonah stepping right into the shoes that the Ninevites have abandoned, and he's calling evil what the Lord has said is good. Jonah's angry that the Ninevites have repented and that God has relented. And Jonah says he's angry enough to die. I am dying for you to bring judgment on my enemies, Lord. And in verse 2, he has the audacity to lecture God. And we can laugh at that, but don't we sometimes do the same thing? He turns to God and he goes, I just knew you'd do something like this. And he lectures God according to the scriptures. You see, in Exodus, Chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, this is what Jonah quotes back to the Lord. He says, he, he, he quotes back to him what the Lord had declared to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You see, this truth is what we sang this morning in song. Remember, you're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great. Your heart is kind. This passage right here that Jonah quotes back to God is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. It's been called by some the center of Old Testament theology because in the passage, basically, Moses said, God, reveal yourself to me. Tell me who you are. Show me who you are. And this was God's response. This passage is God's answer to So, tell me about yourself, God. And God goes, let me tell you about myself. And this passage right here is that. So when Jonah quotes this back to the Lord, he's totally right. He knows exactly who God is. He's absolutely the right to say, God, this is so like you. I knew you would be merciful and forgiving and compassionate because you told us you're merciful and forgiving and compassionate. And I was afraid you were going to do something like this. Jonah knows who the Lord is. But he clearly does not really know the Lord. He knows of the Lord. But he sure doesn't know the heart of the Lord. His knowledge is only head deep. It's not heart deep. He knows the Lord is compassionate. In fact, this is compassion from which we might remember Jonah himself has benefited. Because Jonah reluctantly come back to obey him. But the Lord's compassion doesn't make Jonah happy as it should. It makes Jonah angry. Why? Because Jonah may know the Lord's compassion, but he does not share the Lord's heart. You know, in verse 2, when we hear him pray, he says, O Lord, in Hebrew, O Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant name of God that was revealed to God's people. Jonah is angry that the compassion of God is being shown to the enemies of God's covenant people. It makes him angry enough to die. He says, I was dying for you to bring judgment on our enemies, Lord. You're killing me here, God, because you're not killing them. Jonah's saying to the Lord, Lord, more important to me than what you want. More important to me than what you say is good. More important than your pleasure is to have judgment on Israel's enemies. I am dying to have it. And this thing has become more important to Jonah than God Himself. When someone says, I'm ready to die, just take my life, what Jonah's saying to God is he's saying, the thing that has given my life the most meaning has been taken from me. The thing that is most important to me has been taken. The Lord is clearly not the most important thing to Jonah. Faced with a choice between the security of Israel and loyalty to God, Jonah says, I want the destruction of Israel's enemies more important, more important to me is that? Then you are Lord in your pleasure, and your your happiness. I am dying for them to die. Patriotism had become Jonah's god. It had become more important to Jonah than the Lord Himself. Any time we, like Jonah, declare, "I won't serve you, Lord, unless I can have this," then we've identified an idol in our lives. We've identified an idol. If you have something that is more important to you than the Lord, that's the real bottom line. I am dying for this Lord, and if I can't have it, it's over. It's over between you and me. For Jonah, it was racial and political. His identity as an Israelite, the political security of his people was more important to him. And the worst part is, Jonah was completely oblivious to the fact that he was following an idol. You might remember Jonah prayed from the belly of the whale in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. He said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. So even in that prayer, Jonah self-righteously believes that only pagans can be guilty of idol worship. And yet here's Jonah stubbornly clinging to an idol, the idol of race and politics. And he says, I am dying for the destruction of our enemies. And Lord, if you won't give that to me, then it's over, literally. Literally. It's over. So what about you and me? What are the idols that tempt our hearts? What are we dying for? I'm dying for my sexual desire. If I can't have who I want, when and how I want them, it's over, Lord. I'm dying for unhindered freedom. If I can't follow every longing of my heart, every desire of my eye, if I must give this up or submit in that way, it's over, Lord. I'm dying for prosperity and blessing. If you won't save her, If you won't heal him, if you won't provide this for me, then it's over between us, Lord. I'm dying for acceptance by my friends in this culture. And if I must face persecution or be considered on the wrong side of history or maligned and misunderstood, then it's over between us, Lord. I'm dying for my political position. If I have to listen carefully and speak respectfully about the other side, and maybe if I have to vote differently, or maybe if I have to count myself a Christ follower before I count myself a Republican, a Democrat, or an American, well, then it's over, Lord. I'm dying for my comfort. If I must inconvenience myself to daily obey you, Lord, and to defer to those I despise, and to serve those who don't deserve it, and to give that which I cannot afford, Well, it's over between us, God. If there is something you're just dying for, and you will only serve the Lord as long as it does not interfere with having that thing, then you've just identified an idol. You've just identified an idol in your heart. And if following and serving the Lord becomes conditional on something else, that's an idol. That's your God. That is the thing that is truly most important to you, just like most important to Jonah was the destruction of his enemies. So while the people of Nineveh here are being freed from their idols, Jonah held captive by his. I am dying for Israel's enemies to get their due, and if you won't give it to me, Lord, then I am done. Literally, just take my life, because really, you are killing me here, Lord. And this section closes with the Lord gently rebuking Jonah with a question. Do you do well to be angry? How's that working out for you? The Lord invites Jonah to examine his anger and his fear. What are you angry about not having, Jonah? What are you dying for? And what does that say about your true God, Jonah? Your actual devotion. The direction of your love. The Lord's question rebukes Jonah and invites him to repent. Friends, the Lord invites the same of you and of me today. The Lord invites us to the same. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus has come to set us free from all idols because they promise, but they cannot deliver. They promise, but they cannot give us life. Those things that you're dying for, those things that you believe you would die without, they're idols and they are powerless to deliver what they promise. They're unable to give life. Because think about it. Even if Jonah had gotten what he wanted, Even if Jonah had gotten the destruction of Israel's enemies, would that guarantee him life and perfect security and ultimate salvation? Well, no. That could only be found in the Lord. And even if you get to fulfill every sexual proclivity or freely indulge every longing of your heart and have every desire of your eyes, does that guarantee you life, fulfillment, and satisfaction? No. Even if your bank account is full and your career fulfilling and your health perfect, does that guarantee you peace and life? Even if you're celebrated by this culture, does that guarantee a life well lived? Even if your political party wins and their every platform promise is fulfilled and your country is made great again, does that guarantee that life is going to be better? Even if you have every comfort and convenience in life, does that guarantee the good life? and rest, and peace. Friends, idols promise us life. They say they can deliver life. And we're dying for these things because we think somehow they're going to give us life. They're going to give us what we most desire. But the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus is the only one who can give us life. Our idols, these things that we're dying for, they only make us slaves to them. To serve them. For we need more, and more, and more. We're dying for them, but friends, the gospel is that Jesus has come and he has died for us. We are dying for these things and we think we'll die without them. Well, Jesus came and he died for us to set us free from all our idols. The gospel is that Jesus has come to set us free from the idols that hold our hearts so that he can occupy that space. He's come not just to become one God amongst others, one priority of yours amongst others, one love amongst other loves. The Lord tolerates no competitors. The Lord has come to command exclusive obedience, exclusive allegiance, exclusive love. The people of Nineveh couldn't serve both God and idols. Jonah cannot serve both his idols and God, as we're seeing. And friends, you cannot serve both your idols and the Lord. So Jesus has come to set us free from all other idols that promise us life, but ultimately cannot deliver. Jesus has come to set us free from those things that we are dying for by dying for us to set us free. Friends, what idols? What idols entice and hold you? What are you dying for today, hoping that it's going to give you peace and joy and life? Hear the gospel invitation, the good news of Jesus. Entrust yourself to him who has died for you. Because Jesus is the only one who can fulfill what others promise. Jesus is the only one who has ever said and spoken truly these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, who will be your God? Where will you find life and hope and peace now and forevermore? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that there are those here hearing this message maybe for the first time that, Lord, you would speak to them, that you would draw them them to yourself. Father, that you might inspire them to speak to me or to someone else that they've seen up front here today and to hear the good news of you who've come to die for us, that we might not die, that we might not die chasing after all kinds of things that promise life, but simply offer death. And, Father, if there are those of us here who've trusted you and yet find ourselves chasing after these idols, finding our hope, other than in you I pray Lord that like Jonah you might look at us and we might hear you say do you do well to be angry what am I afraid of what do I fear losing what do I fear not having who is my God what are these idols and Father that you might free our hearts of those idols that we might trust more fully in Christ and in him alone so Lord we give ourselves now lead us And guide us, be glorified in and through us we pray. In Jesus name, amen.